On today's episode, Eric's Tibialis Posterior Success Story. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Eric is a past client of mine and has had a long history with a tibialis posterior tendon. Um, for those who aren't familiar, it's a tendon that runs along the inside of your ankle and foot. It sort of tucks in behind that ankle bone that sort of sticks out and attaches itself kind of around the arch of the foot. And like I said, he's had some troubles and reached out to me for help and we, we worked together and he got significantly better, but it wasn't until about a couple of months after working together, which he reached back out just to give me an update and has had tremendous success. And so straight away, I said, how about we jump on the podcast and have a chat about it? And I was blessed that he agreed. And so we chat about it today. So I hope you enjoy. Let's dive in. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's dive into introducing yourself, where you're from, and I thought it might be good to start off with also, uh, what races have you entered in your running career? Cool, yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the US, um, and I currently live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, and let's see, I guess my start of running goes back to, I played a bunch of team sports growing up, baseball, American football, soccer that sort of thing. And I thought of running as sort of like how to train for another sport. I didn't really think of it as, as its own sport. Um, but along that journey, I, um, I ran track one year and I think that was eighth grade and I really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, ran my first 5k at the end of that season. So I guess that was the, the beginning of my running career, but, um, fast forward, uh, Till my late twenties and I hadn't really continued running, but I'd kept up with other sports and decided that I wanted to run a half marathon at some point in my life. And so I decided to sign up for a half, a road half marathon, found a training plan online, signed up and, and went ahead and did that. Um, and really enjoyed it and totally got hooked on the running bug. I just absolutely loved it and continued running uh, you know, from there on, we'll talk about the injuries that, that came shortly thereafter. Um, <laughs> but I, I think in that first year of running, I did three half marathons, a road marathon, 
uh, and then three either uh, marathon distance or ultra marathons on the trails. Um, and just this year, uh, after a, a long break from injuries, um, have gotten back into running. So this year I did a, another uh, road half marathon in Brooklyn and then um, uh, just recently finished a, um, a race here in Colorado Springs called the Pikes Peak Ascent, which is a half marathon that goes up uh, the entirety of Pikes Peak, uh, which is a 14,000 foot mountain here. Um, so I think it's about seven or 8,000 feet of, of gain. So a little bit different than the road half marathon. So not really gravitating towards a, a road or trail. You're just sort of doing a mixture of both and find both of those like engaging or the motivation to do both. You're not sort of favoring one or the other. I think I've more and more started to favor, um, trail running and ultra, uh, ultra distance running is, is kind of where I have goals to continue to progress. Um, but I've definitely enjoyed both and, and want to keep continuing to do, to do both in my mix. Yeah. Well, it seemed like you dived into doing quite a lot of races. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about where this ankle pain first started arising and if you can think of a particular pattern of what might have caused it? Yeah. So after that first half marathon, I think that was October of 2018. Um, like I said, I was totally hooked on running and that had gone really well, but I decided to sign up for several races all at once. Uh, including a, a, a road marathon that January or the following January. And I think it was during that marathon that I first started to have symptoms. Um, I made some mistakes that I think a lot of first time marathoners do, which is go out too early, not fuel yourself well enough, those kinds of things. And um, I bonked and in the last several miles, my ankles were really hurting. And then in the, in the following days, um, I started to have, um, pain in my tendons that I, I hadn't had before. Um, so that was kind of the onset of it was, um, I think January of 2019 running, running that marathon. And no signs of foot ankle pain similar to the injury prior to that marathon. Not that I can remember really. Um, yeah, I had rolled my ankles when I was playing soccer growing up, um, and had sprained a couple, you know, sprained both my ankles growing up, but it had been, you know, 15 or 20 years since that. Okay. So big year of running or late <clears throat> 2018 and then 2019, early 2019 road marathon during and afterwards started noticing some pain around the ankles. Do you mind describing exactly where and how long that sort of persisted for or you know, the days after that marathon, what that felt like? Yeah, sure. Um, so I learned later that the um, pain was um, on the posterior tibi posterior tibialis tendon, um, which is basically the pain was um, right at the kind of prominent bone on the inside of my ankle and, and foot, um, right above my arch. And um, I was feeling pain really on on both ankles, um, a little bit more so on my right ankle, but, um, but both of them had pain there. Mm. <clears throat> and some people that have this sort of tendon pain, it's kind of like behind the ankle bone itself. Like on the inside of the ankle, you've sort of got that nodgy bone thing that sticks out. <clears throat> the tendon actually wraps behind that bone. And then, like you said, attaches sort of onto the top of the arch 
And because it wraps around that, it sort of can leave it prone to developing pain and be turning into a tendinopathy if it's overloaded. But yours was a little bit different as it was more pain as it inserts onto like the attachment point at the top of the arch. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. You got it right. Okay. And so was, was it getting better? Like after the marathon? Yes, it was sore. Like days, weeks after that, did you start noticing an improvement? You know, I think I did start to notice a little bit of an improvement. Um, but really for the rest of that year, all the way through that summer, I had signed up for several more races and was building up towards trail and ultra distance races. And I sort of just adopted this mindset that I was, um, that like my feet hurting and my ankle hurting was just going to be part of what the deal was with running. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, I had fluctuations, but in, in terms of the pain levels, but I, um, continued to, uh, experience pain because I continued to build up and didn't really modify my running or training in in any way and just kind of continued to add more volume over time. So accepting that's just a part of the deal would sort of, I guess, get a bit better, get a bit better during races, get a bit worse. And then if you look over the course of say a year, it's not really much better in terms of a long-term trend. You're not really noticing much improvement. Would that be right? Yeah. And I think in the long-term trend, it was, it was actually getting worse. Um, and one of the ways that I noticed that was I rolled my ankles multiple times through training. Um, and that would cause flare ups in terms of pain. And then I think, uh, it was in August of that year. So I'd been continuing to run all the way through, uh, that year. In August, I had two mountain trail races out in Utah and I was on vacation and I signed up for doing both of them two weeks apart. And on the second one, I rolled both of my ankles while I was racing it. And I remember finishing the race with lying on my back with my feet up, my ankles swollen the size of softballs. And, um, I came to a realization like, okay, this has gone on too long and I've just been dealing with the pain. And so I, I really can't continue to do the same thing over again. And I need to try to do something different, um, and try to try to get help for this. So that was kind of the, um, long steady progression of symptoms for, I guess, about eight months there. And in that eight months, you didn't ever think about getting treatment, seeking out, you know, something to try and manage it. I did not. I, uh, I was really just like, so laser focused on these races that I was signed up for. And I was kind of in denial where I was like, well, I just, I really want to do these races. I'm really enjoying running. Um, and so I kind of just tried to put it, put it out of my mind for a while. Okay. And so initially seeking treatment, what did that look like? And, um, who did you find help with? So, oh gosh, I tried uh, to see a bunch of different specialists. Um, I went to see a podiatrist who recommended that I use uh, orthotics. That didn't make much of a difference. I went and saw an orthopedic surgeon who got 
I did get an MRI on, on one of my ankles, um, but they didn't really tell me much of anything. But I did get a referral to a PT. And I did see a PT in person, um, I think twice a week for about two months. Um, and I started to notice a little bit of improvement at first, um, but then the improvement kind of plateaued. Um, and I started get, getting discouraged because I would try running and, you know, run for five minutes and then still experience pain. Um, and so I, I ended up getting discouraged and, and not continuing on with, um, that PT, um, and, you know, tried a few different approaches. Um, but ultimately I guess fast forward, um, a year later at the, at the time I'd been living in New York, um, and a year later, uh, I, my wife and I decided to move out to Colorado Springs where we are now. And that motivated me to retry getting, um, you know, getting treatment again and seeing somebody new. So I found a new PT. Um, there's this mountain Pikes Peak that, that you can see from basically everywhere in Colorado Springs. And it was really motivating to me to look at it and say, okay, I need to like be able to climb that mountain pain-free someday. And I want to do whatever it takes to get me there. Um, so that was the point where, um, I tried PT again at that point. Um, I did start to see meaningful progress and saw a reduction in pain. But again, after a few months, it kind of, the improvement kind of plateaued, um, and, and stopped making progress. Um, and my PT asked to see the MRI that I had taken the year prior and noticed that, um, the report said that I actually had, uh, an extra bone in my foot, which was called an accessory navicular bone. Um, and so I went to see a new orthopedic surgeon who said, Hey, you've been trying PT long enough. And, and I would actually recommend that we go ahead and do the surgery to take that extra bone out and reattach the tendon uh, to the navicular bone. So I'll pause there because I know that that was a lot of detail, but um, that was... Uh, Can I ask, mm -hmm. with the PT, so you had the, the initial PT that you said, okay, a little bit of effect and then a plateaued and then you saw the second PT and you said that reduced the pain as well, but plateaued again. Yep. Um, what sort of stuff was involved with the PT? Yeah. So it was a combination of, uh, in both cases, it was a combination of various manual therapies that they would do. So they did, I think both of them did ultrasound. One of them did um, like the TENS e-stim type of device. Um, I think one used like a scraper. There were a few different kind of manual therapies that they did. And those would kind of relieve the symptoms while I was there, but I wouldn't notice a continued reduction in symptoms the day or two after I left the PT. The other thing that we did was they prescribed various strengthening and ankle stability exercises. A lot of them were using the elastic bands. And now looking back, I think, um, those contributed to an initial reduction in the symptoms, but we didn't really progress them 
beyond the bands. So um, we didn't work towards body weight or even, um, you know, lifting heavier weights or anything like that. Um, and, and I think that that's part of the reason why, you know, I saw the initial improvement, but didn't see a continued improvement, um, in working with those PTs. And during that time when you were doing the strength work and the manual therapy, were you also trying to maintain your running or did you cease running? No. So I had completely stopped running. Um, I did some cross training, um, like biking and, um, a little bit of hiking, but even just a couple, two or three miles of hiking, um, would flare up symptoms. Um, and I did a little bit of swimming, but yeah, I had completely stopped running at that point. Okay. Let's keep moving on into the, to this review with your surgeon. Once they found this accessory bone, mm-hmm. um, what was that appointment like and what was the outcome? So, you know, at this point I had been away from running for, I think almost a year and a half and I was really just frustrated and discouraged. And so hearing the surgeon say, Hey, normally we would like surgery is the last ditch effort we would do. Um, we would always start with non-surgical interventions, but it seems like you've been trying a lot of these things and they're not getting the results. So he described what the surgery was, how it worked, what he would do, and said if I wanted to move forward that we could go ahead and move forward and do the surgery. And um, I talked to my PT as well who you know, said, hey, I would have expected to see a continued improvement now that you've been coming this long. So I think you know, normally I don't recommend going to surgery, but this might be a, a case in, in time that it does make sense to do that. Um, so I didn't really think about it all that much. I was just really eager to have symptoms stop and start running again. Um, and so I decided to, to go ahead and schedule the surgery, um, and move forward with that. Was there much of like a wait list or could you get in relatively quickly? Uh, I think it was within a month or so within three or four weeks. Okay. So talk about the surgery. How'd you, how'd it go during, how'd you feel afterwards? Um, so surgery is not fun. Uh, I've never, (laughs) I've never, I had never done any surgeries before. And, um, it was really a, a frustrating mental experience to go through the recovery process. Um, but the positive thing was that I, I got surgery on that, the right ankle and, I did notice a reduction in symptoms pretty immediately as the pain of the surgery came down. Um, and I was able to start moving forward with, uh, re rehabilitation. And it took about three months or so to get back to walking without much of a limp. And I was able to start running again within about four months, which was really exciting for me. I was so, uh, encouraged and, ready to get back into everything. Um, and so, you know, ultimately there was an improvement there, but it was no small (laughs) task to, to deal with kind of going through that process of surgery recovery. Okay. Uh, so I guess just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. 
The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Where to from there? So you've returned back to running. Mm-hmm. Um, was, you said it was like maybe, you know, taking its time, it was quite tough to, to make that return, but did you just keep seeing success? Did the running mileage just keep building up and did symptoms stay at bay? Like what was that that moment like? So that's where there was a bit of a setback. Um, and it really came in because I had mentioned earlier that I was having symptoms on both of my ankles. Um, the right ankle had been a little bit more severe, but I had pretty much the entire time been dealing with problems on both, both of my ankles. And as I built up running volume, um, after the recovery, pretty immediately my left ankle started flaring up and, um, I started getting pretty anxious because I was worried, oh no, to be able to meet my goals, I'm going to have to go through this entire process over again. And I'm going to have to get surgery again on the other side, just to be able to get to the goal of, of consistently running again. Um, yeah. Can I say as well, like with the MRI, did it show an accessory bone on both sides or was it just one side that they operated on? So the initial MRI was, was only on the side that I had surgery on. And then after my symptoms came back, I went back to the surgeon and he ordered a second MRI and consulted with me. And what he said is that, I guess this is maybe a little bit technical, but um, there's a few different types of accessory navicular bones where um, sometimes they are totally isolated and separated from the navicular bone, but sometimes um, I guess they can like fuse back to the main bone. So you have a, what they, they called a bony prominence um, sticking out of the navicular bone, but it was actually attached. And so what they described to me on the other side was that the setup was a little bit different in that it had fused to the the main bone on the left side, whereas on the right side it had uh, totally stayed separated and was kind of just floating. And that led me to talking with him and the, the surgeon saying, you know, we can do the surgery on your left side if that's what you really want to do, but I would encourage you to try at least, you know, one more pass through of um, non-surgical interventions just to see if that can work before we go through this process. Because we can always come back to the surgery if, if everything else isn't working. Um, so that's that's where I was, um, you know, at, at that point. Okay. So all this sort of worry has come in because you've started building up your running and the non-operated side has started, you know, just becoming really problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, the surgical side, was that sort of managing well? It actually was managing pretty well. Yeah. Okay. And so worried this about potentially going for surgery and this repeating this whole process over again, which took, you know, several months, um, but last ditch effort to try some PT. Um, what next? So it was actually my wife that was uh, frustrated hearing me just kind of spin and be really anxious about when am I going to get to run again? And do I have to get surgery again? And she really encouraged me to put together a team around me. And 
So at that point, I started working with a strength training coach, um, in part because I think I was listening to your podcast and it encouraged <laughs> the the use of strength training. Um, I also reached out to you and we did an injury chat and then started working together uh, on a, a rehab plan. Um, and I also started working with a mental health therapist just to make sure that I was really working on having a better mindset towards how I was approaching the recovery because um, I knew that that would be part of um, you know being able to be successful as well. What sort of kick-started the recovery, particularly on this non-operated side, which you know stayed kind of symptomatic with your running? What set you on the path to success? Looking back now, was there any elements that you think, you know what, that was probably one of the major contributors to me starting to see um, significant benefit? So one of the biggest things that you had us do when we started working together was add a daily log of all of my activity and my pain levels, both during activity and in the few hours following activity and then the next morning after I'd wake up because I'd have different symptoms that tied to different activities. And before that, I had never really seen a pattern of what activities I would do would contribute to what types of pain. And I had also never really thought about this idea of an acceptable pain level. I thought any pain must be a bad thing. And so maybe I, I could be overdoing it if I'm doing some type of pain. But when we started to work through the idea that as long as the pain stays at a level of four or below, as long as it's co uh, continuing to pr improve progressively, and as long as it returns to baseline within 24 hours, that made such a difference because I was able to feel comfortable running and then look back with you, you know, two to three weeks later and realize, hey, yes, I still have pain, but my daily pain level two weeks ago was three or four without even activity. And over the last week, now it's been down to two most days with maybe a couple flare-ups flare to three. And so those are the types of changes that you don't really see if you're not paying close attention. But I think because we were t paying close attention, that made a difference in being able to see incremental progress. And that set me off the, the right direction and started to give me some positive feedback that was encouraging to keep going with the rehabilitation. Yeah, well said. And even I'm struggling to note it, find the right candidates for that particular approach because on the opposite side, it can have some detrimental effects of paying too much attention to the pain mm -hmm. and fostering this hypervigilance around an area, particularly for someone who has is quite worried. And if it is been going on for quite a while and it's the, what sort of um, emotions and thoughts you're attributing when you are sort of assessing the pain. But um, I guess for you, that's what was needed. It's it's following, trying to find a pattern, trying to follow a trend, trying to see something a bit more long-term to see if there is improvements or not um, is helpful. Um, but I guess for those listening, you know, you, you sort of pick your patients. For some people who say, all right, let's fixate on this pain 
during, after, next day, when I'm walking, when I'm sitting, and they start thinking about too much throughout the day and they get really anxious about it. Maybe that particular approach for that person might not be as helpful. Um, like I say, it's kind of fostering that hypervigilance, but glad that we sort of can identify those trends. Can you remember, I know it was a while ago, but can you remember any initial patterns of what you would do that would spike the pain or what you would do that settled down the pain, like those sort of peaks and troughs of patterns that you may not have initially sort of recognized before we started logging these symptoms? That's a good question. Um, if I can remember, I think the biggest things that contributed to increases in pain were running and then I would also notice a little bit of pain during activity when I was doing strength training. Um, but I noticed that um, the, the more that I would run and the more that I would strength train, I could still increase my load or volume on each of those a little bit each day or each week without seeing the spikes that I was expecting or used to seeing. Um, and that's not to say I didn't have setbacks, but there were, um, there were times where I was looking at the, um, you know, the activity levels and I would see, oh, I'm, I'm running a lot more than I expected to be running at this phase. And, um, you know, maybe I would see a little bit of a flare up the next day, but I would just log that and note it. And then we would adjust and maybe try a mile or two less the next time if we needed to, um, if there was mm. like a significant flare up. And it's, it's a, it's a nice lesson to learn for a lot of running related injuries, particularly it's very encouraging from a runner and for a, a PT or physio to see if the mileage and the strength training progress, like if everything builds up and symptoms stay the same, that's actually quite encouraging. It means that you're tolerating what you're currently doing, provided that the initial symptoms were acceptable. Like you say, around about like under four out of 10, when knowing that you're tolerating it um, over a longer trend and as things build up, if things stay the same, it's, it's a good sign. But as those weeks go on, we st- you know, you don't want to still be go back to doing say half marathons and marathons and still be at like a three out of 10 pain. We sort of eventually want to see a trend on the improve, which it seems like that's what happened. Initially we saw a build up in mileage, a build up in strength training and symptoms remain the same, but all of a sudden we started noticing like a very slight trend on the improve. Like what was once a two out of 10 was then a one, mm-hmm. what was once a three out of 10 was then a two. And we started we kept following that again, like you say, with a, a few hiccups here and there, but long-term seeing that you're on the right track. Is there, you mentioned the strength exercises. Um, do you think that there was any particular strength exercises looking back now that you thought might've were quite beneficial? So we had a big focus on calf raises and um, I think that that was one that was um, really positive positive. And we also had a focus on um, single leg balancing exercises. And even now, I continue to incorporate those two ideas 
in my regular strength training program because I want to continue to build on the strength that I've achieved over time. And I think both of those two exercises totally changed the strength that I had in my feet and the strength that I had in my ankle. I will say it was important that I did both of those barefoot and I tried to do a lot of different, I I actually did all of my strength training um, barefoot as well as tried to like incorporate more barefoot walking um, around the house on a regular basis. And so I think those were some of the things that really helped to strengthen um, the tendons and the the whole kind of lower limb structure. Yeah, it's it's probably useful to share that the tendon that we're talking about, that tendon on the inside of the ankle, can be play a small part in a calf raise or like the push off phase when you're running. You know, your main calf muscles will take the bulk of that, but a small percentage of that motion is that tib post tendon and not only is that but it also controls the pronation of your ankle or the stability of your ankle and when we look at your history and you know a long history of rolled ankles and the stability function side of things it's good to combine so if we build up your strength if we build up your calf raises yes it is building up the calf but also getting that tendon to tolerate some load into um, that secondary action that it has but the, the primary action is that pronation and controlling that, um, that particular action. So single leg work, uh, like you say, the stability, even just walking around barefoot, those muscles that are inside the foot that have to control the pronation and engage those muscles and strengthen the little foot muscles, all of that plays a good role in returning the strength, capacity, and function of that tendon. So I'm glad that you saw a direct, I guess, relation to that and going back to the history of previous PT attempts, just doing some non-weighted resisted banded exercises um, makes sense why you saw the initial success. Cause that would strengthen the tendon a little bit, but is nowhere near as much demand that's required for if you just to stand on one leg and have that tendon sort of fire and stabilize that whole area. You're talking about your whole body weight being put on that tendon and then combine that with running it's extremely high um and seems like the previous pt exercises were nowhere near reaching the mark in terms of demand so um to be said for a lot of running related injuries i've chatted with a lot of people that say yeah i saw initial initial success but then it plateaued out and you talk to them about the specifics of those exercises and they do body weight exercises or less and they see initial success, but then they just keep that body weight exercise and no surprise that it plateaus out because the injuries craving for a progression, craving for a bridging the gap towards the demand of running. It's just not meeting that, that demand. And so makes sense and makes sense that why once we start progressing your rehab to something more functional, standing, calf raises, single leg balance, walking around barefoot, all those sort of things, why you start to see that that success because we're bridging that gap. We're bridging the gap between demands and um, along combining that with what you were saying, making sure that exercises don't have to be pain-free so we can continue pushing things. Um, seems like the combination of all the things, all the principles of this podcast is really coming to fruition with the success. And so 
any other major keys to success? You, you talked about the logging of your symptoms. You talked about the rehab exercises, seeing those trends. Um, anything else that might have contributed to the to your success? Yeah, um, I I think also was a shift in my mindset to um, be more patient with myself and be more patient with the process to return to running. Um, you know, that first year that I kind of got hooked on on running, I think I exp- I, I showed that I have a tendency towards it, an all or nothing personality. And that led me to just want to sign up for the next race and the next race and the next race. And this last year that I've been running, I've been taking more of a mindset of, I want to be running and healthy and enjoying adventuring in the mountains when I'm in my seventies. And so maybe I signed up for this race, but, and, and I even worked with you on this. I said, Hey, I really want to sign up for a race and I want to start training for something. Do you think that I can get back to it at this point? And you said, well, we don't know yet. We're going to have to see over time. Um, can you build up to, you know, say 20 to 30 miles per week with, um, you know, no or few symptoms over the next couple of months. We're not sure yet. It might take longer than that. It might be able to happen in that amount of time. And, you know, I was really excited for the races that I signed up for, but I tried to have more of a mindset of if it doesn't happen this time around, that's okay. I can keep building and I am able to enjoy running right now. Um, and so I think just being a, a, more patient, um, helped me get through the, the ups and downs of the day-to-day recovery. Um, and then all of the physical things that you mentioned certainly were the things that actually changed my symptoms over time. My clients will know I'm not much of a time frames guy. I'm not much of a, you know, you will get this amount of better in six months time. I'm more of a, a function. Let's go through let's get your calf raised to lifting this much. Let's get your running pain-free to this much. How long it takes is how long it takes. Um, just progress sensibly and pay attention to symptoms. And, um, you know, it's frustrating for a lot of people because they just want to know where they're going to be in six months time, or can I do this race in three months time? But the more I see runners, the less accurate I feel like my predictions are. So keep, keep to the, the function rather than the, the actual time frames. In regards to building up your mileage, so even when we started working together, what did that running look like in terms of building up mileage, building up speed, building up hills? Because your your eventual goal was, you know, return to trail running and return to trail races and um, those sorts of things. So as the weeks and months went on, how did that start to layer on top of one another? Yeah, that's a great question. I I guess that's another difference in how I approached running this time around versus the first year that I'd gotten really into running because we had an emphasis on keeping the easy days pretty easy. And so we started right away with, um, 
I don't know, maybe a four mile run or something like that and said, Hey, let's, let's monitor symptoms. Let's try this out and let's see how this goes for a week or two. And I was able to do the, that run on trails here, um, close to where I am. Um, and so I was able to get in some Hills, but I kept the effort very easy for the first couple of months. Um, I didn't really incorporate any speed work, just wanted to build back up to being able to run. And so sometimes that meant if, if I was on a hill, I would just hike the hill um, to, to keep it at an easy effort level. And then um, I, I remember coming to you and say, hey, you know, I, I feel like this is progressing pretty well and I'm interested in incorporating some speed work. Can we try this out? And so at that point, we started with, um, you know, maybe just three by one minute at a six to seven RPE effort. So just a little bit dialed up and we sort of tried one speed session per week. And if that went okay, then we would try maybe a little bit longer or a little bit harder effort. Um, and I think within two to three months, I was getting back to a place where I had, um, one solid speed session per week. And then on another session, I started incorporating some hill strides as well. Um, and, um, you know, just started with, I think two hill strides and then, you know, incrementally added from there. Um, but something that I've kept with me is that I've tried to keep all of the sessions that I'm doing that are not either strides or speed work. I've tried to keep them easier, um, so that I have more of the polarized training approach that I know you've talked about. A lot of runners, they're very systematic and progressive with their slow running. Like if they're, if they have an injury and they're just getting back into running, a lot of them are really good at doing the, let me walk for 30 seconds, jog for 30 seconds. If that's fine, let me do a walk and jog for a minute, then 90 seconds, then two minutes, and then let's progress and progress. And they can kind of see the slow progressive phases that should be implemented and then once they're getting, say, 30 or 40 minutes continuous running and they want to introduce speed, that like the ability to systematically implement speed, they, they, they sort of lose focus there. And then they go from a, let me do a 30-minute really slow to a 30-minute just slightly faster, and then a 30-minute just slightly faster than that. And it's that's way too much of a jump in my eyes. And some people might get away with it, but having something okay let's run for 30 minutes continuous and then within that 30 minutes let's do a one minute on and off where that on is just that slightly a little bit faster and that off is back to that easy pace and let's do that three times and then let's see what the success is like like after that um if you wanted to do that top speed sort of stuff or closer to that top speed that's when we do strides so repeats really short and you know just seeing as an introductory level how your injury can tolerate those things. Um, so I will say as a lesson, which you've just shared there, it's if speed is introduced, well, first of all, make sure you've got a, a bigger base of low, slow mileage. But then once we introduce the speed, make sure that's systematic. Make sure it's you're patient with it. Make sure that first initial attempt is, you know, embarrassingly short make sure it's like just this little baby hit of speed work and make sure you can tolerate that before you just do the next thing and the next thing um so 
pretty key, pretty key. Thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've sort of alluded to it a little bit, but what have you got back to? Talk us about the most recent race and how symptoms were. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I was able to run um, about six months after we started working together. I was able to run uh, a road half marathon that went very well. I exceeded my um, time expectations and totally felt um, very good during the race, after the race, didn't have any pain flare-ups or anything like that. And then I decided I wanted to try a trail race. And so there's the Pikes Peak Ascent here in Colorado Springs, which is uh, the race I mentioned earlier. And just a few weeks ago, I was able to complete that. Um, Again, totally exceeded my uh, pace expectations. And I think more importantly, I ended the race feeling, you know, I I accomplished that goal of climbing Pikes Peak without having any pain in my ankles uh, and didn't feel any pain the next day either. Uh, and I think I was running again the next day. So um, have been very happy with the progress that I've made recently. And um, now I'm back to a base building phase as we come into the winter uh, and gearing up for um, my first return to an ultra distance race. I, I signed up for a 50K trail race uh, in April. And so I'm focused on uh, just building a solid base right now. And, and then we'll do more uh, race specific training as, as we get closer to the race in the, in the winter. A big congratulations. And like I say, moving to Colorado and having that, that peak just to look at and say, that's what I want to do. And then eventually doing it. It's, it's great to see. Um, I think one of the other key lessons as we're wrapping this up was the mistakes initially when symptoms were arising, you were saying, okay, all or nothing. That was sort of my mentality that I approached it. But also you, you mentioned that you were laser focused on races. It was like really dialed in going from race to race to race to race without much attention to taking care of your body or, you know, recovering, paying attention to symptoms. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. I think races are great. Um, but you know, combining so many in such a close time frame, and then just trying to leap from one to the other, it can have its detriments. It's fun. And it's, it's when it goes well, it goes well. But if you're super focused, laser focused from race to race, um, you're probably going to just continue pushing through injuries and, you know, mismanaging injuries and symptoms getting worse. And you just, it doesn't matter. It's not a focus at the moment. And, you know, the, the ramifications, you could say like you've had this ups and downs for a couple of years and it's um, been a real struggle, but managed to see that long-term success and that longevity uh, once you took that patient approach and you started focusing on yourself, started focusing on symptoms, started focusing on recovery and turning that all or nothing into something of a, you know, I want to run for the next couple of decades. I want to have longevity if a if I have a race that I can't prepare for, hey, let me just move to the next race. Let me visualize where I want to be in five years' time and 10 years' time and am I still managing this injury or am I learning more about my body, learning more about what I can tolerate, learning more about running slow, having a good intensity distribution, introducing speed, those sorts of things. I think the qualities that you've learned throughout the last several months are definitely just tools that you're going to use for the next, for the rest of your running career and instill those 
particular lessons. So I'm glad that it's paid off. I'm glad that you've had this success. Um, any other, I guess, takeaways as we're wrapping this up for someone who might have a similar injury and be really struggling with their recovery? Yeah, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think the, um, the biggest thing that I'm taking away is focusing on how can I have running and adventuring in the mountains be part of my life long-term versus just um, trying to immediately go from one thing to the next. Um, and, you know, if I were to give myself advice all the way back to when these uh, symptoms first showed up, it would be to listen to my body, to pay attention to my body, and to um, move away from an all or nothing mindset that requires either, you know, running all the time and just focusing on racing and, and powering through the pain versus completely stopping running and not focus. You know, I know you've talked about the pain rest and weakness spiral, which I think I went into when I completely stopped running. Um, and so that's the advice I would give to myself is, um, to, to really work through the, patience of listening to my body and responding and incrementally adding a little bit more, uh, as my body can tolerate it. Yeah. And me talking to runners that have a marathon next month, it's like, it's the most important thing to them for some of them. Some of them have, it's just that the level of importance for this race is so high, but you also ask about what other running goals they have. And they're like, Oh, I want to, run for the rest of my life. I want to enjoy these things. I want to take in the moments. I want to, you know, enjoy nature. I want to make sure that I'm loving this for, as a longevity standpoint. I, I guess the two sort of having those two motivations don't really sync well with one another. I think it's, yes, living in the heat of the moment is a real thing and people can get really, it has its dangers associated with it. If someone has a marathon that's in a month's time and it's, you know, they're solely focused on it and it's, they'll do anything to get there. They'll do anything to get to that finish line. And then they're just wrecked afterwards leading to injuries and mismanagement of an injury or, you know, that sort of focus isn't great for long-term. It's, you know, there's always going to be another race. And when you're in that heat of the moment, some people struggle to get that perspective. Um, so I'm glad you've come on to share this story. Uh, I think there's a lot of takeaways both in the, the mindset things that you've talked about, the whole philosophy around why you're running and the, the running career for longevity, but also the little intricate parts like the exercises, the pain symptoms, the, the short-term trends and um, the progressions of exercises, those sorts of things. So both in a, a honed-in scope but also for a wide, broad scope, I think it covers a lot of really nice lessons. So... Eric, once again, congratulations. Um, thanks for coming on sharing your story because it's going to help a lot of people. So thanks once again. Thanks, Brody. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And I also appreciate all your help in getting me to accomplish my goals. <laughs> You're welcome, mate. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons. 
who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.